want to thank our worship team for working so hard this week and preparing for this day. I know it's an introduction of some new drums and stuff. It's really been awesome this morning, helping us lift Christ's name high. So, we welcome you here. Welcome you here Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. We're going to try that again. He is risen. All right. So if you were standing at the tomb of Jesus and he was gone, we've got to recapture some of that excitement. We would have been going absolutely berserk understanding that our Lord has risen from the dead. We would be so excited. Well, today we're going to be opening up the scriptures to 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning with you, <coughs> go ahead and raise your hand up. We'd love for you to have God's all-sufficient word in your hands so that you can check what I'm saying against the Scriptures. We want you to have God's holy, inspired words in your hand at all times. So take that. If you don't have one at home, take that as yours to keep. I'm just going to introduce this by looking at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4. We're going to be looking at a section just a little bit later than that. But this is the truth. Paul is writing, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so that's why we want you to have God's Word in your hands at all times. It teaches you about Jesus. Apart from God's Word, you will not know Jesus. Apart from God's Word, you would never know Jesus. And so you need to have it in your hands. So he is risen. Hallelujah, he is risen. It's so good to gather again on this special day, this Easter Sunday, to celebrate and to proclaim the undeniable truth, the incredible reality that our Lord Jesus, our Savior, after receiving all the ridicule for us, after receiving the torture that is due for us, everything that the world could throw at him, and after absorbing the wrath of God, the Father poured out on him for us that he is risen today, that that stone was rolled away, and that because of that, we are also risen in him. We're risen to new life in him. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He conquered death for us and for the glory of God. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 18. Well, like I said, we're here on, on Easter morning. We already had Good Friday, right? And sometimes you wonder why Friday is so good, right? It seems like it's, it's the darkest night of the year. It's the remembrance of Christ's death for us. Last Friday, we, uh, we let the scriptures speak for themselves. We all took turns reading from God's word, hearing, hearing the testimony from him. We had somewhat of a somber service to, to hear yet again that story of old, the story that never gets old, from God's very breathed out words, his scriptures. And we allowed that to, to saturate our hearts, allowed that to cause us to reflect and confess and repent and to have a look at our responsibility for the cross. We should have been nailed to that cross, but Christ went willingly for us taking the ridicule, the beating, the scourging, and again, receiving the wrath of God 
for us. And so we prayed together, we proclaimed together, we cried together, we repented together, and we confessed together, and we worshiped the Lord in all of his abundance grace poured out on his son for us, who really died. Jesus really died. He really died for us. He was really buried for us. And as we left Friday, I encouraged us not to run too fast to Sunday. Don't run too fast yet to the resurrection. Feel the weight of what was done for you. Allow that sorrow, allow that sadness of the cross to be felt deeply. But now is the day, friends, to glory in our resurrected Savior. Like the disciples and the women running to the tomb. When you read John's gospel, you you hear him running to the tomb. We just read here that Peter was running to the tomb. Are we running to that open tomb this morning in worship? He is not here. He is risen. So friends, this morning more than ever, the resurrection of Jesus means everything. It means everything, absolutely everything. As we live in a world of skepticism, of of post-Christian thinking, of of post-modern thinking, which is your truth is good for you and your truth is good for you. It doesn't matter. That's the world we're living in. We're living in a world that's growing in hostility towards truth and most of all, hostility towards the gospel. We're living in a dying world, a world marred with the bondage of sin where every day 350,000 babies are born and 150,000 people die all of them in desperate need of this resurrected Savior. And there's only one, only one who rose from the dead to eternal life. The cross and the empty tomb is the epicenter of all meaning. It's the fulcrum point of all eternity. It is the tipping point between heaven and hell. The cross and the resurrection stands at the center of all history, beckoning sinners to come. Come and see what God has done, proclaiming once and for all that your sins are paid for in Jesus Christ, that he is alive and that he offers salvation to sinners like you and sinners like me. That is the joy of our salvation. So the resurrection means everything. Starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead." For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each 
in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, we know that your Holy Spirit has to reveal this truth to us and drive it deep into our hearts. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to be doing that. Penetrate our hearts with the gospel. Illuminate the text to our eyes. May we behold it as beautiful and glorious. May this message of your resurrection be everything to us. Because it is everything. Lord, without the resurrection, we wouldn't be standing here. Without the resurrection, this would all be a waste of time. And so we hope in you. We pray to you. We seek you. And we ask for you to speak through your word today. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, the resurrection means everything. It means everything. I don't know if you've noticed... But at this time of the year on, on television, there's always a lot of series of programs on, you know, about trying to dissuade your thoughts about Christianity. If you look on the headlines, there's always some new thing they discovered, some truth or some, some false teaching that's uh, trying to point us away from the truth of the resurrection. And some try to explain away his resurrection in a few common ways. Some would say his resurrection was a hallucination. People, all the people that seen him uh, raised from the dead, that was just a mere hallucination. Okay? So these disciples and, and these 500 eyewitnesses uh, were in some kind of a psychotic trance, uh, seeing something that never really happened. Some people say that the apostles merely made up this story, uh, that the resurrection was just, a, was just a figment of their imagination, and they wanted to protect uh, what they thought they knew to be true. Some would say it was a massive conspiracy that the apostles actually broke into the tomb and stole the body of Christ. So they would walk by and sneak by the fiercest of Roman soldiers who'd be guarding that tomb, these little fishermen. And some would even claim that he really didn't die, that he was just overcome by the pain of his wounds, that somehow this man survived the Roman cross that was always 100% effective. And these are all lies. The truth, friends, is that everything that we believe in rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It rests on the fact that he really did bodily raise himself from the grave. The resurrection means everything. And so let me ask you this morning, does the resurrection of Jesus really matter in your life? Is it necessary for us to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does it matter? Well, it should. The Apostle Paul is going to show us that it is essential. It is critical. It is crucial to our faith that the resurrection of Jesus is everything. Which is going to lead to our first point. If Jesus is dead, our message is dead. If Jesus is dead, our message is dead. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So this young church in Corinth, it had a resurrection problem. Although the believers of the church understood and they believed that Jesus was resurrected, they weren't so sure about their own future resurrection. So Corinth was this, this city in the, in the Roman colonies. It was very influenced by many different philosophies. And one of them was an early form of Gnosticism, which was really believing that the material world was inherently evil and that which was in the spiritual realm was good. And so Christianity's teaching on the resurrection of this material body being raised to eternal life was ludicrous. It was against everything that the society at that time believed. And one commentator says this, Christianity was born into a world where its central claim was known to be false. Many believed the dead were non-existent. Outside Judaism, nobody believed in resurrection. In the Roman world, everybody knew dead people didn't and couldn't come back to bodily life. That's what they believed at that time. And so this view against the bodily resurrection was still alive also in the church. And Paul says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, he's saying, if, you, if you're okay with Jesus being raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So the reality of Christ's resurrection and our resurrection, our future resurrection, are intrinsically linked together. They cannot be separated. And Paul is basically saying, you can't have one without the other. And he goes on to say, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So we see Paul laying out this logical argument. So if we cannot be raised from the dead, Jesus was not raised from the dead. Therefore, our message is dead. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, our preaching, our faith, our testimony is useless. If we are found, we'd be found to be liars, Teaching lies, believing lies, trusting in lies. A recent poll in the U.S. and Ohio suggests that only 36% of the U.S. population believes in a coming resurrection. And even in the church, more and more people are denying their future resurrection and even the bodily resurrection of Christ. And another poll in the United Kingdom tells us this. In the Church of England, one in three clergy believe that Christ didn't rise from the grave. Clergy. And so we still have this same resurrection problem today. The essential truth is that everything rests on the resurrection. And it's a fatal error to not believe in the resurrection. And the problem is, is that the resurrection cannot be minimized. It's not a negotiable truth. The resurrection means 
everything. It's foundational. You must believe in Christ's bodily resurrection to truly understand, to truly live, to truly share your faith. So do you believe that? Do you believe that? Paul says if we don't believe that, our message is dead. Which ultimately means the scriptures are wrong. Paul just said in the first reading, in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins in what? In accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. This is Jesus in his glorified, bodily resurrected state, appearing to 500 plus witnesses. God's word from day one has been testifying and proclaiming of a future resurrection. A future resurrection of Jesus and a future resurrection of his believers. From Psalm 16 and Psalm 22, Hosea 6.2, to the sign of Jonah and to the raising of Lazarus. God's word has been pointing forward to Christ's resurrection and also our resurrection. They are intrinsically linked. They cannot be separated. Do you remember uh, the prophet Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones? God had Ezekiel prophesy this. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Jesus himself taught of the necessity of his resurrection. He said to the Pharisees, like we just saw, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking about his resurrection. He also taught his disciples, suffer many things, that he must suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. And the fact that we are meeting this morning on Sunday morning is all because of the resurrection of Jesus. We're not meeting on Saturday anymore. We, re- we meet on the Lord's Day, the day that he resurrected from the grave. But if the resurrection means nothing, then my preaching today means nothing, and we are wasting our time. Your faith is useless. We are all liars. We might as well sell everything and go home. It's a massive deal. John MacArthur says, without the resurrection, the good news would be bad news. And there would be nothing worth preaching. Without the resurrection, the gospel would be an empty, hopeless message of meaningly nonsense. Unless our Lord conquered sin and death, making a way for men to follow in that victory, there is no gospel to proclaim. The resurrection means everything. And friends, we are the messengers of this message. We are the messengers of this hope in the world. Remember, we are the lights of the world. We are the ones with the message that raises people from the dead. Even us, even us who were once spiritually dead, we are now entrusted with the message of hope, of resurrection, 
That's what God uses to save lost sinners. So we must share this hope of resurrection. This world around us has fallen. It is dead. We need to tell them that there is life, and there is life eternal in Jesus Christ. We need to share that good news. That instead of receiving the mocking, instead of receiving the scourging and the crucifixion and the judgment for our sins, an eternal judgment for our sins, Christ stood in our place and he took the wrath for us so that we could be resurrected in Jesus Christ. Do you guys think our world needs this message? It needs it desperately. We need it daily to remind ourselves of how amazing this message is. Jesus is alive, and his message lives on, but we can't keep it to ourselves. We cannot be selfish with our salvation. We need to share that living message. That is your number one priority. That is your number one conviction in this world. It's not feeding the family. It's not taking care of the dog. It's not doing all these other things. Those are all good, and you're to be doing that. But your number one priority is to be sharing the message of the hope of the resurrection. And so if Jesus is dead, our message is dead. And if Jesus is dead, Paul also teaches that we are forever dead. If Jesus is dead, we are forever dead. He says in verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. How many, how many of you guys think uh, Paul is, is hammering a point here? I think he's hammering a pretty, pretty solid point. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The word futile means idle. It means empty. It means worthless. It means fruitless. So if Christ is dead, our faith means absolutely nothing. And if our faith is nothing, then we are still in bondage to our sin. God's Word teaches us that every person ever born throughout all of history is born a sinner. And we continue to keep on sinning. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And apart from God's grace, there is no one who does good, not even one. That you and I were enemies against God. We were lovers of self. We were slaves to our own sin. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And it is fearful, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Every one of us has broken God's laws. And all of us deserve an eternity of punishment because we have looked at this earth, we have looked at this universe, and we have balled up our hands against God and said, I am going my own way. But God is eternal, God is holy. God is just. He cannot deny himself. He must judge sin. The Bible teaches us that we are without excuse. We are storing up God's wrath against ourselves. And apart from God's grace, we are in bondage to sin. And we are citizens of the domain of darkness, following our father, the devil. 
This is the bad news. Without Jesus' death and resurrection applied to our lives, we are forever lost. We are forever in sin. We are forever lost without hope. And Paul says in verse 18, that if Jesus is still dead, all those who have fallen asleep, it just means all those who have died before us, those who profess the name of Christ, those who have been counted righteous from the beginning of time are all lost. They are all dead without any hope. So just think about it. The pillars of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, the prophets, the apostles, all believers of all time died in vain, believing in a lie, dead without hope. Friends, if Christ was not raised from the dead, your sins are not forgiven. You are not free. You are still in darkness. You are still fathering or following your father, Satan. You're still serving him. You're still condemned for eternity. Paul goes even further. He says this, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul is basically saying is that if Jesus came so that we can have our best life now, we are of all people most to be pitied. So are you beginning to see how, how serious, how important the resurrection of the Savior is to our faith? It means everything. Without the resurrection, we are only left to an eternal misery. Friends, biblical Christianity is not a, it's not a faith focused on this life only. Remember, we're pilgrims here. We're traveling through. Salvation is not something really, really good to add to your really, really good life already, right? That's not what salvation is. Christianity is not a delicious ice cream cone that you give to a kid who's already holding 10 delicious ice cream cones. Faith in Christ is not a Lamborghini that you're, you're adding to your collection of exotic cars. It's not something you add. It is everything. Faith in the risen Savior means everything. It means that everything in this world falls short of the true meaning of following Christ. Our hope is that we would say with the Apostle Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Believing in the risen Savior means that your God is alive. And it's only a living God that can raise you to new life in him. We celebrate because we're no longer dead. Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If Jesus is dead, we are forever dead. We're forever dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are the most pitiful bunch of people on this planet. In the early 1980s, an Indian guru by the name of the Bhagwan uh, had 2,000 followers, and they moved from India to Antelope, Oregon, hoping to build a utopia, a city of free love and, 
in Eastern mysticism. This title for himself, Bhagwan, really means God in Hindi. And his followers worshipped him and prayed to him as their God. Thousands of people would sit for hours and hours listening to his teaching. They would gather together for worship. They would experience all kinds of things, ecstatic, body-shaking impartations. These people believed he was God on earth. And they devoted their entire lives and, and their finances to him. And that even, even though he would teach otherwise, this man had an insatiable desire for the things of this world. At the height of his influence, he was a multimillionaire. He owned 85 Rolls Royces, many diamond-studded Rolex watches. He was addicted to designer drugs and had, had over 200,000 followers from all over the world. He called himself God. They called him God. But this man died January 19th, 1990, and he remained dead. He never rose from the grave. He never rose to eternal life. These people devoted their whole lives to a lie. They are most pitied. They are lost. And they need the only resurrected Savior. But we follow Jesus. We follow God himself, the only one who has ever risen from the grave to eternal life. We're not following a lie. As this self-proclaimed Indian guru is dead, God is not dead. God is alive. His resurrection means everything. Throughout all world history, many have claimed to be spiritual leaders, leading many people away from the truth. But the reality is this, that every spiritual leader apart from Jesus Christ is dead. They are really dead. From the pharaohs to the Roman emperors to Muhammad to Buddha to Joseph Smith to this Bhagwan, and on and on and on. All these people are dead. And all who follow him are forever dead. Unless they hear the good news of Jesus, the truth. But we are not dead. We follow the only resurrected God. But friends, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't live like God's alive. We get caught up in this life only. We get caught up in the things of this world, even though we hear the truth and, and we say that we believe in a risen Savior, sometimes we live as though this life is everything. Perhaps we, we say that we hope in the living God, but yet our greatest delights, our greatest desires are wrapped up in this world. Perhaps we say God is sovereign and we trust in him, but yet we do everything we can do to try to control the outcomes of our life. We live in our own strength. And so let me ask you, what are your greatest fears? What are the things that bring you the most anxiety? What brings you sorrow and what brings you despair? Is it death? Is it sickness? Is it money? Is it relationships? Is it success? Is it the acclaim of others? What do you stay awake at night thinking about? What do you dream about during the day? Where are you placing your utmost hope? What are you delighting in? What brings you the most satisfaction and joy? Is it the things of this earth? Are we living like this is all we've got? Are we living like Jesus is dead? 
if Jesus is dead, we might as well live as, as though this is all we have. If Jesus is dead, we are forever dead. But we know this is not the truth. We know that he is alive. Because Jesus is alive, we are forever alive. He says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So twice we see this word first fruits in reference to Jesus here. So what does that mean? What does first fruits mean? Well, back in the Levit- Levit- sorry, Levitical days of the tabernacle, with priests and sacrifices, Israelite farmers would have to take their first fruits to the priests. In Leviticus 23, 10 to 11, Moses was instructed by God to speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So this first fruits was the first cut. It was the prime cut. It was the perfect cut. When we were living in Louisville, we'd go to the state fair and they would, people would be hanging up their tobacco leaves as the first cut. This is representing my whole crop. And you would take this to the priests and the priests would have to look at it and then, and then they would bless it so that you could take the rest of the harvest. And this is so rich. Think of this, this first fruits as the representation of the full harvest. It's so rich because it speaks about Christ as our representation, speaking about the whole. Going before the priest, being accepted by his work. It's so rich. Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Meaning, again, that he was the first man to be raised from, to life from the dead. The first to be raised to eternal life. He's the only perfect representative. Beautiful. So Jesus being the representative of those who have already died in the Lord, and for all those who will, his resurrection guarantees the harvest for the rest of the crop. He's our representative. He is gone before the priests. He is gone. The curtain was torn in two. He represents us and guarantees the harvest of the rest of us. Because his sacrifice was perfect. The fruit of his life was perfect, holy, and acceptable to God. His perfect representation covers the sins of all those who are found in him. He says, Paul says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So friends, when Adam and Eve sinned, In the garden, remember, Adam had to take responsibility for the sin. God came searching for Adam. And ever since that day, Adam has been a representative of all mankind. And as we are all born in Adam, apart from grace, we will all die in Adam. But the gospel truth is this. Jesus is the second Adam. He is the last Adam. He is the ultimate Adam. He is the perfect Adam. He's the one that faced all the same temptations you face. 
but he lived the perfect life, obeying all of God's laws perfectly. And Romans 4.25 says that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He's representing us before God. All those who are represented by him are declared righteous in him and are alive in him. So if you're in Christ, you are no longer in Adam. You're no longer under the bondage of death. You have eternal life. You have it right now. Paul says, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. He'll return first, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So yes, Easter is about the resurrection of Christ. But remember, our resurrection is intrinsically linked to his resurrection. So Easter is also about our resurrection. And so the question we got to ask ourselves, are we in Christ? Am I in Christ? Or am I still in Adam? This is the official day that we celebrate Easter every year. Uh, this one th theologian, Eric Sauer, says, the present age is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. Between lies the spiritual resurrection of those called into life through Christ. So we live between two Easter's. And in the power of the first Easter, we go to meet the last Easter. Christ rose from the grave, our first Easter. We are going to rise from the grave. That's the final Easter. And this truth is so incredible when you think about it. If you are a believer in Christ this morning, you have been resurrected to new life, eternal life, raised from the dead. Raised from the dead spiritually right now, but we will be raised from the dead physically in a glorified state when Christ comes to take us home. Is anybody here tired? Are you tired of the trappings of this life? Are you tired of the pain and the turmoil of this life? Yeah, life is beautiful. This creation is beautiful. But this creation is groaning under the weight of our sin. 50 years ago, on a, on a hot summer day in uh, Chesapeake Bay, a, a young girl uh, was swimming and uh, she misjudged the depth of the water, and she dived off of, a, I think it was off a pier, and she ended up severing her spine, and she ultimately became a quadriplegic. And in the aftermath of this accident, she suffered major bouts of depression and, and anger and, and questioning the Lord, wanting to die. But after years of rehabilitation, in hopelessness, she began to trust in God's sovereignty and grace amidst her injury. And she lives and stands today as an example of someone who, who places her ultimate joy in Jesus Christ despite the pain and the toil of this life. But she does speak about longing for that day of her own physical resurrection. And she has this to say, Joni Erickson Tata says, I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled bent fingers, atrophied muscles, 
gnarled knees and no feeling from the shoulders down will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives some spinal cord injured person like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is a manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Friends, we live in a world marred with sin, our sin. We're focusing on this in Colossians right now as we're studying through it. The world has been infected, the universe has been infected by our sin, and it's groaning under the weight, waiting for reconciliation, waiting for redemption. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So are you in Christ? Are you in Him? Do you believe the good news that we proclaim? Do you believe in this resurrected Savior? Do you believe that you can have spiritual life, eternal life, eternal resurrection? Do you believe this? If you're not a believer this morning, you are still in Adam. You will die in your sin, and you will suffer forever. But today is the day of salvation. It's your opportunity to be raised to life in Christ. Today is the day to trust in him for salvation. And so repent. Turn from your sins. Trust in him fully for salvation. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because Jesus is alive, we are forever alive. And then to conclude, because Jesus is alive, death will die. Because Jesus is alive, death will die. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Friends, that book that you have in your hands this morning, it has a beginning, it has a climax, and it has an end. Isn't God amazing to give us the story before it is even finished? We get to see that Jesus wins. When Jesus cried out on the cross on Good Friday, it is finished. The work of atonement was complete and death's days are numbered. As Christ rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, the curse of death will ultimately come to an end. Jesus will return in power. Revelations 19.11 says this, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That is Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He's making war against death and Satan. The resurrected Christ will return as a warrior and a judge, and he will finally destroy Satan. He will destroy evil forever. Revelations 20.10 reveals he will throw Satan into the lake of fire, where he will be tormented day and night forever. 
And as Christ finally destroys every rule and authority and power, puts all things under his feet, we remember that he is the one from the beginning. When we sinned in the beginning, God gave us a promise. Genesis 3.15, that he's going to send a head crusher, a Satan head crusher, who is going to deal a death blow. And that came through the cross and will be consummated upon his return when he throws him into the lake of fire. And death is going to follow it. Revelations 20.14, after Satan and all evil are thrown into the lake of fire, it says, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. So friends, Jesus wins. Our resurrected Savior wins. On that day, there will be no, no more sor sorrow, no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain, no more, no more sorrow or deformities, no more temptation. I can't wait for the day of no more temptation. No more sin, no more evil, no more Satan, no more death, just God's glory. Can't wait for that day. So if Jesus never rose from the grave, none of this would be possible. If Jesus is dead, our message is dead. If Jesus is dead, we are forever dead. But we know that Jesus is alive, which means we are alive forever. And the power of death is destroyed. Friends, the resurrection means everything. It means everything. So do you believe it? How's your life lining up with the gospel? Are you living in light of the resurrection? Are you living in the power of the resurrection? You have resurrection power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the, from the dead has also raised you from the dead and lives in you to live your life for Christ. Are you rejoicing in the resurrection. Let's rejoice in the resurrection on this Easter Sunday and from this day forward. Let's keep lifting his name high and getting after the work of the gospel because there are so many people around us who don't know this hope. They're going to die and not know the truth of the resurrection. So let's rejoice in him, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Lord, we thank you that your word is, again is living and powerful, that it teaches us the truth, that although we, we look on this world and we see, we see false teaching, we see um, all kinds of attacks against the truth, that you are the truth, that you have raised Christ from the dead. And that the resurrection of Jesus means everything. Help us today to walk in light of that. Help us to not leave this place unchanged. Help us to never look at this truth the same again. But that it would transform us. That it would put a stride in our steps that our feet would be beautiful with the gospel, going to the lost, sharing the hope of the resurrection with them so that others can have eternal life 
in you. And we do this all. We do it all for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name.